Hey, three wise women are in the house. Finally, our diaries have aligned. We've put new projects on hold to bring you something new, something bold, and something you absolutely need. The three wise women are here to talk about all those topics that create such controversy and have polarizing views. We are here to ask the question, why? So I guess you'd say this is our second episode. Welcome back. And on the back of, I think, last week's, I think this time we want to be, I guess, even a bit more punchy. So we've decided to do and try and answer the question, why does sex still sell? Obviously, we all have our unique experiences. I want to bring in, I guess, not only the marketing side of it, that's sort of my second job in terms of professional athlete. I it funds it funds the sport. <laughs> um, but also obviously the I guess my own experience from being an athlete and I guess my experience within I guess the professional sports world of who gets deals and where does the money go. I think that's I think that's probably quite a good topic because triathlon's not the sexiest sport. <laughs> um, but what about you two? What are your angles that you want to bring in? I mean, I think just leading off from what you were saying, Eloise, it's a really important conversation because I know that there's a, like, I've been involved a little bit, not lots, but a little bit in, in women's football. And obviously women's football is definitely getting its spotlight at the moment, as it should be, because yes. these women are phenomenal and they're playing an amazing game. So talented. But the pressure these women feel to look sexy off the pitch in terms of to get the sponsorships to, mm. to, to get because they get paid pittance compared to the men's game they get paid nothing mm-hmm. right again that whole inequality of finances because we're women and the sport is not seemed um as important right but we now obviously we're, we're changing that we're shifting that because of the amazing performances that are, that are going on but like talking to a lot of the the women that i i have had the pleasure of working with you know a lot of them have these kind of very they, they do have underlying body image issues they do have um kind of pressure they feel because in order to make up the finances to be an equal in the game to their male con- counterparts they have to sell an image Mm. and so it you know it fits really nicely with what you're talking about is that how far do we go like why do we still have to go to the as women why is it that we are seen as the softer sex Mm -hmm. and why is it that we have to sell sex Mm. in order to to get our foot off the ground and be taken seriously why do we have to do that Mm. and and certainly the intersection of being you know, woman of colour, you know, woman of colour, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty new to this game, you know, I only, and I, God, I was just cringed at the word I was going to use, I only came to prominence three years ago, but <laughs> that's not true, you know, through my work with Black Trail Runners, through my work being a vocal social justice advocate, to, to, to do everything that I can in order to highlight the discrepancies and the lack of diversity in the sport of trail running, in people of colour being in the outdoors. I never, ever, ever got into it to be, I don't even like the word, the influencer. Like, I, I've i always just been me. And I guess 
I've been really, really disillusioned over the years, especially more so in the last year, actually, where from a brand, from an event, from an organisation perspective, I have been told no so many times. I've been rejected for campaigns, for sponsorships, for ambassadorships so many times because I don't fit the mould of what they want. Now, that mould, um, and we can get into this in more detail, is the look you know, I, I, we were just talking about, I, I don't see myself as a sexy woman. And, and I think that's a lot of internalized stuff. And it is, it's an internalized around feeling othered throughout my life, constantly feeling as though I'm put on the, I'm, I'm, I'm being judged based upon the, 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 the you know, the acceptable beauty standard, let's just put it out there. And I, I don't fit into that. And also, you know, my body in itself, you know, I was a teenage mum. I had my first baby at 18. So I never felt confident from a really young age in the crop top, you know, hipster, tight, short, you know, that was never me. And I think that that translates into what I put out there. I'm never going to be your woman that you see looking like that and posing like that. And so therefore, because of that and because of the space that I inhabit and the the strong voice that I have, yeah, I've been rejected for more things than I've had opportunities for. And it does make me ask, it always does, because, you know, I bleed too. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I ask myself, why? Why? But I think it also brings up such an important aspect. Like, if you are a brand or you are an organisation and you're, you know, you're obviously looking to promote something... And you've got this vision, you've got this image. And I, like you, I mean, I can think of two quite recent situations where, you know, I was brought in on documentaries about eating disorders. Obviously, that's my my realm. Um, And lots of filming happened, you know, like usual sort of stuff. Took up my day. Don't get paid for any of this, by the way, but took up a day. So I lost money in clinic, but I did it. And then literally before it's about to air and I'm talking literally hours before you get a call saying, oh, we've cut your bit. Um, and you're like, well, how come? Like, what did I do wrong? Like, mm. what was it? And they don't give you any answers because they can't give you a straightforward answer. But then you go and watch the documentary and basically you have been replaced by somebody who looks different. Who And, and, and the problem is we're never going to be able to prove that. It's that point of view. But what I'm getting back to is the culture, like you, right? I grew up in a very strict environment. I grew up in, you know, my parents are Punjabi Sikh. Uh, they're very religious. You, you didn't ever show any aspect of your body at all. Your body was almost covered up most mm. of the time. And you didn't talk about sex. You didn't behave in certain ways. Like, you know, the whole kind of Sikh religion is based on purity and maintaining purity Mm. and so you know you're not supposed to drink because that potentially can cause like inhibitions of your of your mind and then you might end up doing something you regret and you know all these different things and and so it feels really unjust in the sense that it's not me having a whinge that I'm not sexy enough because I don't even know what that means like what does it mean to be sexy well that what yeah what does it mean yeah. What does it, what does I think it mean to you? What does it mean to you, Eloise, to be sexy? Well, I think there's two things to this, right? There's what you feel internally and what we deem as a society as mm. sexy. Like, 
what do you, we're all, I think we can all say we're criminal for it. There is someone or something that you're attracted to mm-hmm. and it has sex appeal for you, whatever it is, right? Or whoever it is. But in terms of, I guess, personally, from I guess for me, it's just feeling confident, whether that's in, I guess, whether that's sort of, you've made a bit of an effort and you're like, you know what? You're not ugly. <laughs> you're not that ugly. Or wearing a nice dress that you actually feel confident in. Like I struggle a lot with what I wear. Um, I think getting boobs at, I think it was 21, didn't really help because I hadn't had my period for so long. So it's sort of being okay with your body and feeling comfortable in that. I think anyone can feel sexy and anyone, whether it is you put on a bit of mascara and you're like, you know what, it's not too bad. Or you buy yourself a new swimsuit and you're like, you know what, it's quite nice. But I think the external one is I think where the, I guess the marketing aspect comes in at all. And also this play on you're getting rejected and so-and-so is getting the deal. I think that's the societal pressures. That's the societal of they are pretty because of X, Y, Z, or he's attractive because of X, Y, Z. She has boobs. She has a butt, attractive tick. I think that's something I think we struggle with. I think from, I guess, experience more on the marketing side, I think Gen Z is changing that a bit. They're much more fluid about their thoughts on what, I guess attractiveness is and also what they are attracted to too I think that does change the vibe in terms of I guess the younger to older generations but again we're still in this culture where if you're not good enough it can be a lot to do with how you look Mm -hmm. and how you don't fit the mold that in their head and the perceptions they have and especially if you're working with um, I guess sort of an older mentality it's it's or a don't know quite how to say it but you know the the stereotypical generalization of what people want Mm. to to cater for and what other people want their product or brand to also consume too so Mm. I don't know that's my point Mm. Mm. so yeah I mean it's from a marketing and PR point of view it's something you know I ran I ran a PR agency for 16 years and you know a lot of the campaigns that I work you know I'd really get deep into like audience segmentation and and emotional and social and professional triggers and messages and everything like that and I was always really really keen to work campaigns around you know if someone reads something if they see something if they taste something if they touch something like it has to really pull on these inter- intrinsic you know that's that's you know we want loyalty from a customer exactly and and I guess it frustrates me that you know with me and what I do and and what other I see other people doing it's like I don't want I don't want people to come on the journey with me because of a look you know I want them to really have been you know I, I want them to have been touched deeply by something they've heard, they've read, they've seen that isn't based upon whether <laughs> whether I'm in a, a crop top and shorts or whether I'm posing in a certain way. I, I, I so want it to be more than that, but it feels like yeah. I'm swimming against the tide in that sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think I, I find totally get that. disturbing. Like I... In, obviously... I get to work with a lot of people and I find it very disturbing that so many people that I know or who I work with or who I used to think of as friends, Mm. um, they share so much intimate detail about their lives 
because that's what they believe is going to get them more validation mm. is going to get them recognition and i think you have to question what is it about that recognition that you need why do you need it what are you trying to attain from that that you can't attain from within yourself and you know i'm with you sab like i think all three of us here i we're all very authentic in our voices we all offer something different particularly when it comes to the social media platform but I, I know I don't have like a massive, massive following, but I have a decent following. Yeah. But what I'm proud of with my following is that those people, every single one of them is invested in what I've got to say. Because never have I spoken, I never ever promote my body. It's never about that. It's mm. about what I offer as a person. So maybe I'll never get the million followers. Maybe I'll never get the 100K followers. And I don't care because it's not about that for me but what I love is that the followers I do have are incredibly loyal incredibly supportive and they're there because they get something authentic back and I wish we had more of that because I'm not there to sell a lifestyle right that's not what I'm about I mean my lifestyle as you both know is not that exciting (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot I mean None of us like interesting profession. <laughs> I literally spent my morning researching memes. Okay, so I think this is okay. I literally spent my morning. I thought I was like the navigation queen with my women's run group, and I I got them lost, and I spent the morning pretending that I knew how to get them home. And I to us, Rini, your interest and your intellect is sexy. Okay, fair it's enough. Sexy. Yeah, I mean, I, but again, it was funny because you and I went out on a date night last night, which doesn't happen that often, but we, we went out last night and um, you, you know, you end up talking about all sorts yeah. of things, right? And we did, we were like talking about what makes somebody attractive because it's so individual, mm-hmm. you know, like obviously we, we, we've both come from different relationships previous relationships we're in our second major relationship with each other and you kind of you know obviously things change and you you look back on maybe who you've fancied before and think what was going on there right (laughs) like but 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 put that aside it's it's really interesting when you look at films or or like you know you were talking about brad pitt and, and Idris Elba. Yeah. You know, these are these are attractive men and, and they're universally attractive. Everybody finds them attractive. Yeah. Why? What is it about them? What is it the chiseled jaw? What is it? Like there are obviously certain things that we know, and now this is probably more of a marketing question. But there are obviously certain things that absolutely draw people in uh, and encourage that, you know, encourage that person to be <laughs> liked. I just went down. You might have seen, like, I know that this is audio, but as soon as Rini just mentioned Idris Elba, I went into like a parallel universe and I was like listing in my head why I find him really attractive. Part of that is because his wife is called Sabrina as well. There is actually, there is like connections to names, isn't there? That you get connected to someone who has a similar name to you. That is actually a thing that's psychological. Well, there's, um, no, there's very few Rini's out there. So Rini, I'm, I'm, I'm... She's Rene. Oh, she, oh, she's Rene. Yeah. Pronunciation's a thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's not many Eloises, apart from the no. 
little girl from the book. Although, is... I have about five Eloises in my phone book. You sure they're just not all me? They're all, <laughs> they're all athletes. So there you go. Oh, there we go. That's that's, it's a really um, interesting. It's a really interesting thing that you said. I can't remember whether it was you, Eloise, or really about like from a from a marketing point of view. And Eloise, I'll, I'll kind of throw this back to you. Like you're a marketing manager, you're a comms director, whatever you are. You're you're planning a campaign. You want to sell as much of this product or service. You're looking at people in sports, you're looking at triathletes, you're looking at people in trail running, you look at whatever it is, like, what are you, what is, what are those conversations that are happening in that room, like? Yeah, that's, obviously I have a different perspective, but I'll give you, I guess, the overarching perspective is the aim of the campaign is hits, right? It's conversions, it's yeah. to get a sale and... For that, especially as I specialize in social media, my angle is you've got to stop the scroll. Attention. Attention is needed. And you have three seconds to catch someone's attention in social media. And that's three seconds. It's quite long. Like, so you haven't got much time for someone to stop, see, and then interact with your post and then make more steps. So for me, that's my angle in terms of we're having this conversation. There'll be other roles coming in of what's our budget, obviously. What can we afford? Who can we afford? Do we want, a, I guess, the influence aspect? Do we want this to go... I guess, into sort of more micro-influencing, major influencing, and what what can we give them? So if they're more expensive, they have one post. They have, or maybe they have one video. That's, again, you need instant interaction, instant catch of attention. You need something that, that sells. And I think, obviously, this is not my perspective, because I'll give you my personal perspective on the other side of things. That is where, I guess, the... I say the backing of why there is such thing as sex does still sell because it's a catch attention. Mm. If there's something that we can be attracted to as such or stop us to be like, oh, double take, whether that is we find them attractive as the viewer or it's it's a bit risky, it makes us feel a bit uncomfortable and also looks a bit different to what we've just been looking at, which again, catches attention. Mm -hmm. There are other methods you can do as well. Um, but in terms of, I think that's, the market side and then also there are studies that show that right now there's one done by university of georgia this year that came out with where sex does still sell is when they need impulse buys again a lot of that is on social it's a lot of that you need to be attractive you need to do a quick click through boom boom done and again not saying it's all and definitely not saying this is all influence or brand ambassadors do this but those are massive strategies employed on social media and again to sell content in their one post they have a month it is effective to attach attention. Not saying again that anyone does that or, or everyone does that, I should say. Mm -hmm. My take on this would be if I was sitting in the room with a list of names and people is I'd always go for the brand as long, the product as short as such. And for me, for a brand length and lifetime, and a product can change 20 times in a 10 years. Mm -hmm. The brand, yes, it will evolve. Of course it will. And it probably will change its logo. But the brand is what stays people stay connected to. So for me, if I'm in a room choosing people as such, I go for representation because it's that if someone can feel connected to that person other than feeling a bit uncomfortable because they're attractive and give you a bit of a hot flush, mm -hmm. if someone can feel connected to, like you said, Sabrina, they're invested for the journey. Mm -hmm. They're invested and they feel that this brand can help them. This mm -hmm. feel that they fit in and they're being heard and I'm always one for making sure everyone feels heard and everyone's got a voice where they stand. So I guess that is a another technique that you can employ and it's it, bloody love that technique, Eloise. I wish you were I wish there was like an Eloise 
clone mold for marketing directors and and see and and like every, because that is like that's the holy grail for me like that's what i want to believe wholeheartedly or i've wanted to believe wholeheartedly and especially in the last three years since the rise of blm and 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 you know more brands saying you know we need to do better be better you know the whole black square tuesday thing you know and yeah. and i'm just seeing, if you do it they will that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. And and but I'm just yeah. seeing such apathy right now. I'm just seeing yeah. you know, the running industry diversity coalition a couple of weeks ago. So it's a, a, a organization in America that aims to yeah, diversify the running space. And they they posted, I will put a link to it on the show notes, but they posted this almost like a wheel of apathy wheel of transformation. And it and it and it started okay. with horrific moments. So let's say the horrific moment three years ago was the murder of George Floyd, the murder of Amud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, this horrific thing that happens. And then it goes through this cycle of, you know, horrific thing happens. And then what happens with a brand? Brand needs to ask itself some questions. Brand asks itself questions, reaches out to diverse communities. Um, next bit, activations happen, relationships start to form. But then you get into the, the, the lower part of the cycle, which is, a bit of guilt and shame, a bit of guilt and shame. And then that guilt and shame turns to non-action. Then that non-action turns to apathy and you finally come back to horrific moment has to take place yeah. again. And it just, I saw it and I was like, oh my God, like, yeah, I see it. And I see it with massive brands that we all know listening to this, like massive brands who are cut in, are cutting D, D, E and I directors are reducing budgets, are saying to me, I mean, I, we've all heard them in the, in the last couple of months, oh, we don't have, we don't have the budget or the resource to, to basically be, be diversifying and showing a little representation in our events. Or times really. are tough in the economy. Yes, but yeah. there are still everyone on this world yeah, yeah. And, and we'll speak to you next year and I'm like wow wow it's it's hard and I've always especially from a brand point of view and I guess it goes back to like our original topic on this I think brands need to stand up before they have to and a lot of them don't they're reactive rather than proactive and I know Rini we've had chats about certain company companies in the past of things that I've tried to warn them of and it's obviously not and I don't have experience like you do Sabrina in that sense of that part of diversity but in terms of I guess the experience I do have especially in like what general health really is and what companies are promoting is something bad can happen especially in the fitness industry you have to be standing up for it rather than when you have to and then if you stand up again you're too late and it, again it's responsive and it goes to that oh we're doing it because we have to now we found budget ooh, ooh. why can't you do that all the time because there are real life problems and there are real life people that this affects and can really help and really make them feel part of something that is so much bigger, so much bigger than you selling four watches. Yeah. <laughs> that whole preventative versus reactive is such, I mean, it's a conversation yeah. I go into every single you know, if I'm going into government for any sort of Department of Health or um, public health type meetings, it's it's that that I go in with is like, why are we not preventing? Why are we just reacting? And I think 
I'm wondering now, like the fact that you've just said that, Eloise, and, and you work in a very different field to me. I'm like, is this this apathy, Sabrina, you've just mm. spoken about, is this just the modern world we are living in? That we constantly just kind of sit it out, sit it out, sit it out, and boom, we need to do something now. Mm. Like we see it with the NHS. That's, if you look at politics right now, that's where totally. politics exists. We're seeing wow. it all the time. And it drives me mad because it's so short-sighted. And I, I and again, it's that kind of, you know, going back to that whole aspect of why sex sells. I mean, from my point of view, in the job that I work in, and I've, I've been very vocal about this so many times, I, I can't bear it. I can't bear the some of the the influencers out there who you know it's what they know it's their job it's their livelihood i mean it was it was you know the bbc did a documentary with zara mcdermott um and i'm gonna name names because you know it's she, out there she's, I mean, she's out there yeah. exactly and she did this in she did this documentary on eating disorders and she basically went into like really really acute clinical settings where people are very very poorly and she sat around the table with these young people and she asked the question, does my content affect you? And they all turned around and said, yes. Now, obviously an eating disorder is a mental illness mm. and we know that. And it, it's not, we're not saying, I am not saying, and I've never said that social media causes an eating disorder because it doesn't, mm. we, can't, we can't say that. However, it significantly contributes to how we all view ourselves and we are producing population and generations of individuals who from day one feel unworthy because of what is put out there right and so this documentary followed her through you know she shed a few tears and you know discussed the fact that she felt so awful that her content was was contributing to keeping a lot of these people stuck because of the lifestyle she was promoting the way she holds herself. Did she change? Of course she didn't fucking change. Excuse my language. Because she gets paid. She gets paid to do that. She gets paid. And they'll be looking at her impressions and clicks as well. Totally. They'll be looking at, totally. on the social media side, they look at those analytics and so, she needs to keep that high. Exactly. So, you know, when it comes to, I've had so many conversations with people high up around regulating, particularly social media, because because if we don't regulate, if we don't do something, we are never going to change this, this epidemic, pandemic, whatever you want to call it, in mental health and problems with mental health, which then can potentially lead to mental, severe mental illness. And that mm -hmm. is then costing the UK billions and billions and billions of pounds every year. So, you know, this, this conversation started as why does sex sell but it's so i mean it's it's so dangerous this whole yeah, and it's so deep i think as well i think it's so culturally politically socially it's so deep mm -hmm. and it's so like inherent i think that's what i think I mean, everything all of us have like realized and continue to realize if i take the what's the word honestly this perimenopause is just my brain at the moment if i <laughs> The dev play the devil's advocate. That's mm. what I'm looking for. So there might be people listening to this, but that think, so what? Like if you're, if you're sexy, if you're, 
you know, you conform to what, what these brands want. Ultimately, tough shit if you don't, at the end of the day. Brands, it's money, money, money. Money makes the world go round. Good for them, you know, good for them that they're pretty, that they've got shiny hair, that they're, you know, they, they look this way. Because actually, you three wise women, you probably you probably wish you were them because they're getting all the money. Like, what, what about, because let's play the devil's advocate. You know, there will be people listening to this thinking, oh God, it's the bloody three wise women, the second episode out of however many we're doing. Of course they're talking about it because they're not sexy. <laughs> I tell you why I tell you why this matters to me and I tell you why it's it's really important I'm the mother of three daughters yeah Reenie's the mother of two daughters yeah I'm not saying you have to be a mother I'm saying that if there is anyone from the next generation that you hold dear in your heart and you you want to try and change the game a little bit yeah you just try and want to that's all i ever say in anything that i do i'm like i know that when it comes to let's talk about my area diversity and trail running getting more black people in the outdoors i know that i'm not going to die and suddenly the percentage of black people in the outdoor is going to be like 90 percent. now I'm, I'm a realist i know that's not going to happen yeah. but what i believe wholeheartedly is that if i've shifted the dial just a bit just a bit to make that platform a little bit more equitable for the future generation like i hand over my baton to you do you know what i mean it's like and it's the same thing with sex selling like if if we i haven't heard a conversation happening between three women who inhabit the sports industry and their their various guises and with their expertise, talking about this issue in depth. And actually, I certainly know I'm not invited into big brand boardrooms to talk about definition of sexy and why Mm -hmm. sex, in fact, is a short, sex selling is, in fact, a short-term strategy. If we don't talk about it, then where, how are we going to help to shift the dial on it? You know, and I care about, I don't want my kids, whatever social media turns out to be in five, ten years, you know, we know how quickly it changes. I want my girls and my grandsons as well, too, to not feel as though in order to feel validated, in order to feel as though their voices can be listened to, that they have to conform to a specific stereotype in what they put out there whatever that is whether it's a linkedin photo or whether it's an instagram post or a threads post i want them to i want to have shifted the dial a little bit that actually they're like you know what it's what it's what i'm about that is is sexy it's what i'm about it's what i believe it's what i stand for it's not how beautiful my six pack looks it's not how shiny yeah. or how you know it's it's not those things and i know that feels it might feel if you're listening to it, it might feel like oh my god like that's just too it's too much but you have I have to believe that yeah i'm with you no i'm totally like i totally align with that and i guess from my side obviously i don't have kids no don't have kids i got a cat that's how i go oh <laughs> uh, he's perfect um but from my point of view, and it's something that I'm really passionate about is, and it gets me so cross 
so cross is when commentators as well, and this happens in male and female sport as well. This is not just when commentators have the right to comment on a body type and a look. Um, and that's the same of, in the same realm as why does sex sell? Because it's that we all have these visions in our head that runners should look like this, yeah. triathletes like this, rugby players like this. He looks like a rugby player, but he's a triathlete. We've got to comment on that, yes. even though he's winning. It weird. She looks like a runner, but's a swimmer. That's weird. It's not like what and like that. It's I'm gets me so cross. There are and and more so it does happen in in women's sport, but it does happen in men's sport. And I've seen it in triathlon happen, which again gets me cross. Is that there is so much better and more valuable things to pull out of that person's performance and what's happening than oh they've come back from an injury and they're not looking as lean as they usually do or she's a fun, interesting body type um for a triathlete or an interesting body type for a football player no she's a bloody good football player and she's a professional athlete so her body is right to be a football player and you don't need to comment on it actually her i don't know what they say in football shooting passing <laughs> <laughs> i love it i think it's was very impressive uh defending they're defending they do say defending like why can't we comment on that and the commentators have more knowledge around the football game than i do but in terms of triathlon it's the same it's again it's swimmers shoulders it's um they look like a rugby player yet they're winning the race like no they look like a triathlete and maybe more triathletes should look like that and they might win the race too (laughs) and it's sort of oh it just gets me and you know what really what what riles me is that often these commentators are people who've been athletes themselves yeah. before. And it's like, Especially what travel. gives you the right to comment yeah. on somebody's physique and body? Like, I obviously have, again, very privilege of working with some very, very elite-level, high-performance athletes. And in the run-up to Tokyo, I worked with a few. And, um, you know, they did well. And I remember I picked up the phone to one of my athletes uh, around January. So bearing in mind that was probably about five months post, post Tokyo, um, just to check in, kind of see where they were at, what was going on with them. And they burst into tears. They were like, everything's gone to shit. Um, my performances are really like dropping. I know what it is. I'm not listening to the work we've done previously because I started looking back on all the coverage of me in the games and the lead up to the games and everybody commented on my body and and how it didn't fit and how it shouldn't be be there Mm. it didn't and and I was furious this is the top of our sport the 0.0001% of our sport as well honestly and also furious because I had worked so hard with this athlete yeah. to get them to believe that they were worthy, that they, they, they were demonstrating that they were worthy and that actually their physique was the reason they were doing so well because they were fueling it, yeah. they were resting it, they were listening to it, they had a period, like all yeah. the things that you need athletes to believe and you know, years, like four years leading into yeah. that, four years. And literally, the commentary was enough to just, you know, affect them. I mean, obviously, we had a bit of a talking too, as you do, because that's what Rini does. Rini challenges, and she gives you, as Eloise knows, I give you a good talking to. And um, 
Honest but fair. Honest but fair. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That is pretty much me. Honest but fair. Yeah. If anybody out there wants to work with me, just make sure you can handle it. Um, <laughs> Real <honest> talk. But, <laughs> but um, you know, no eggshells. They are just gone. Obliterated yeah. <laughs> the eggshells. <laughs> Thankfully, the athlete took on board the advice, and actually, is doing great again. Thank goodness. But like, it annoys. But it is. Because, but it's yeah. comments on Instagram. It's it's the same. It's that. It's actually there was that Tom Holland quote, isn't there? When it's how he says, "If you have a problem with me, text me. Send me a message. Pick up the phone. If you don't have my number, you do not have the right to comment." Oh, on. oh I love Christian. that. I've never and heard I, that, Eloise. No, I came across it literally a few days ago, and actually, I was trying to think of doing a reel on it, but I was like, oh, "God, I don't know." But but it's that like yes, like a hundred percent. You can't have a problem with me if you don't know me, and it's the same with how you look or commenting on, mm, aren't you a bit large to be an athlete? Or mm, why are you eating that? Or, mm, they don't look like a runner. It's that you don't know me and have the right to comment on that. Do you know my fitness numbers? Do you know my training? Do you know my VO2 max? Do you do you know any of this to, to tell me that I'm actually the wrong weight or the wrong size? Like, do you? No. <laughs> okay, so let's just bring it back to the main main topic. How do you cope with, I guess, the personal aspect when it comes to does sex sell? Are you ever tempted to go into that realm or feel like, hmm, maybe that would get me a few more interactions? Maybe that would get me a few more people following me. Uh, what are your thoughts? So in terms of the set does sex sell aspect of my personal promotion, I just don't go there. Um, I've never been tempted to post a gratuitous shot of my body just for the sake of it. You know, there may be times where I'm having fun in the gym doing a workout and and I'm feeling myself that day. So I might add it to a story, you know, but that's that's the exception to the rule. You know, I'm a 45-year-old mother. Um, my body tells a story about four children and everything that I've been through. So... For me, in terms of how I how I portray myself, how I build my brand, if we're looking at from a marketing point of view, I know that my audience are more interested in what goes on inside my head and inside my body than they are interested in what's on the outside. Um, have I been tempted to post anything? I guess really only from this conversation, I have been tempted to think, mm, I wonder if I posted a shot of me in some sexy bikini, whether that would increase engagement tenfold or a millionfold. But you know what? I don't believe that it would and it doesn't feel authentic to the person that I am. So... No. But I think it is that. It's that, will I get a bit more attention? Will I get a bit more interaction? Will I get a few more follows that will then see my content? It can be tempting. Um, and I do know very, very successful influencers that have said, yeah, I do still do those bikini shots or I still do those swimming shots because they're the ones that draw people in that then will listen to my mm. or, or watch my content. And I, I respect that. For me, I think for me... I don't need that. I want to stand by who I am. And I'm not the girl that still looks really good at the end of a triathlon. I don't know how people do it. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I want to know what makeup they use because I look like I've done a triathlon. Some pros, they don't. <laughs> Maybe that's a fitness thing. But also it's just, it's a me thing. Like I don't feel comfortable um, as that person. Like don't get me wrong, I love dressing up. I love, I guess feeling mm. a bit sexier, but I don't need to 
plaster everywhere. And I, yes, okay, sometimes it's nice to get a bit of attention, but again, when you boil it all down, I have everything I want. Um, but having said that, what isn't sexy, and I found that out and doesn't sell is my cat. If I post pictures of me and my cat, mm -hmm. I lose followers. <laughs> exponentially lose followers um but stories are okay but hey he's a big part of my life and if you don't want to be in my life with ralph then that's that's okay um but yeah in terms of the the tempted to post anything no like yeah i just wouldn't feel comfortable i think i'd feel yeah i think i'd have to put it down <laughs> um but yeah like does it sell from experience i've had with i guess other athletes or influencers yeah it can but yeah, Rini, what are your thoughts? What are your experiences? Is there any little bit of, I guess, sexy in there? <laughs> I think this is a really difficult one because, unfortunately, sex does sell. Um, but am I ever tempted to post something on that angle? Absolutely no. No, I'm not. I'm not here to sensationalize any content to get validation or to get um likes or even to get more momentum like my core value is authenticity and so for me this is who I am and if you don't like it that's cool like I'm all right with that you know it's it's not a problem not everybody is going to like me and I can handle that but am I ever tempted to be sexual or kind of show off more skin than is necessary? No, because from my point of view, and this is purely my opinion, and particularly as someone who works in the industry around body image and disordered eating, there is so much pressure already. Like we are a society that is constantly chasing societal ideals and body ideals. And from my point of view, Anyone who still uses their body as a way of marketing, selling, promoting, I'm sorry, but you're, you're feeding into that problem. Um, you're feeding into this, uh, this societal pressure that so many of us feel, which then leads to so many dysfunctional um, behaviors. So no, I am never tempted and it is not something that I would ever feel comfortable with. Maybe it's because I am in my late forties and I just don't think it's necessary, but, um, no, not for me. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe we are too old now. Um, what am I 30? I think I'm 30. That's quite old. <laughs> no. Um, okay. So on that, where do you think the looks do matter then? Where does it come into? Like everyone says first impressions count, but I guess, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? And I know obviously for job interviews, for I guess dates that I've been on or whatever, I want to look the best I can look because it's that first impression. But is that the same as sex selling? So tricky, isn't it? Because I guess like, you know, especially when you're looking at a romantic relationship, you you do have to find somebody physically attractive to be drawn to them. But also, I'm a real believer that attraction is more than what someone looks like. Like for me personally, 
I'm attracted to the person. So yes, there may be something that catches my eye, but the more you get to know someone, the more you realize what you have in common, where your shared values are, um, and like as their personality comes through, it's whether it's something that you connect with. Like for me, I definitely um, find intellect really um, attractive. I also find individuals who can have those deep, meaningful connections um, and deep, meaningful conversations really attractive. Like those are the things that are quite important to me. So if I meet a soul that I can connect with at that level, then I'm most likely going to find them more attractive. Um, I think, you know, if you think about people who are aesthetically very pleasing, they're only pleasing if they also can be kind, be caring, be compassionate. Like if you meet someone who may well look the ideal, but then their behavior does not align with your values, then I don't think you do tend to find them attractive. You can appreciate their beauty, you can appreciate their aesthetic, but that's not the same as being attracted to them. And and I think sometimes you can surprise yourself. Like when you truly connect with somebody, they may well not be the most attractive person in the world from a aesthetic point of view, but they absolutely will align with you. So yeah, it's an interesting one. I think it's a difficult one because we do seem to put so much emphasis on and so much value on what someone looks like. And yet, you know, when I'm sort of doing my presentations or when I'm on stage, it isn't the thing I'm thinking about. It's not, I'm not stood there thinking, what do they all, like, how are they all kind of interpreting what I look like? I'm not, that's not what I'm thinking about. I'm usually thinking, am I making sense? Have I captured the audience? Am I providing them with enough information? Like, those are the things that are going through my mind. But I guess... We are all different from that point of view. Um, but I always I always go back to, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder and it's very much what's important to you. So I guess that's also why we're all so different. But I guess I think that's it. If you're doing something that you're passionate about or that is the end goal, looks are completely irrelevant and they don't come into your mind. Yeah, well, even when I'm in those hideous tri suits, I'm actually not thinking about how I look. Um <laughs> I'm just focusing on the task at the hand, even if I have half a gel down my face and God knows what else on me because I've been out there for a few hours. <laughs> but it is that it's, I think, yeah, if you're staying true to yourself and focusing on what you're passionate about, looks are irrelevant. And it's often that thing is like down the line, the person that's the most confident in how they look are wearing what they feel they like and doing what makes them feel, I guess, powerful to a sense. They are the most attractive people in the room. And that's when I think, it's so easy to get caught up in the screen, caught up in the, I guess, the 2D as such, when actually in real life, it's those people that have just inner confidence and inner passion for what they do that really do sell themselves, I guess. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, Sab? In terms of my relationships, um, you know, when I met my husband over like almost 24 years ago, yeah, of course, you know, first impressions do count you know I was younger then I had come out of a relationship where I felt that I wasn't a beautiful woman that I was less worthy of love or of being loved um 
So, you know, when I met him, of course, you know, I was out there. I wasn't actively looking for a boyfriend, but, you know, I was authentically me. The hair was out, etc. And I guess, you know, that attracted him. In terms of friendships, absolutely not. You know, I go back to the earlier question, you know, I'm more interested as a 45-year-old woman and I think the people that I surround myself with are more interested in what is happening inside my head as opposed to what's outside it. And I just think maybe that comes with age. You know, our circles get smaller. We surround ourselves with the the people that feed into our energy um, rather than take from it. And if any of my friends only want to be my friend or only want to surround themselves with me based upon what I look like, you know, let's move. Let's keep moving it on because I'm really not here for that. Um, it's taken me a long time. It, and it, and it's, it's an ongoing journey. Let's just get that really straight to, to accept the woman that I am, to accept what this body looks like and and you know with perimenopause that can change on the daily I have good days I have not so good days but I have to continue to remember where I've been and where I'm going and and what my body can do rather than what my body looks like and that's what I would say to anyone listening to this we are more we are so much more than what we tell ourselves, number one, but we are so much more than often what society will see on that first look. And I would just say, like, remember that. Like, remember who you are. Who you are is what's inside. And I know it sounds cliche. I, I apologise if it sounds cliche, but we are so much more than the bodies that we inhabit. And that's that's the journey, that's the learning, and that's been a learning for me, and surround yourself with people, with friends, with lovers, with family, who remind you of that, Um, it's so, so easy to become enthralled, to become obsessed almost with what we see out there that looks again, like they've all got it together, they look good, they have great jobs, etc, etc. A lot of that stuff is bullshit. And, and we see the fallout of that in the months and the years that go by. You know, it's an inside job. It's really an inside job. And remember that if you don't love yourself internally and do the work in order to accept yourself internally, And no matter how beautiful you are on the outside, you're kind of not going to be, you're not going to be appealing, you know, and, um, and not just appealing externally, but appealing to yourself. So just remember and tell yourself, like, this is an inside job, you know, this is an inside job. What you said at the start, Sab, about, I guess, being in that relationship and not feeling pretty and coming out of it actually that really resonated with me and I think maybe it's a learning thing, maybe it's a a time thing, but after recovering from anorexia I generally felt so unattractive. I found relationships super, super hard slash didn't have any because I really did not believe anyone would want to be with me um, or find me remotely attractive as I struggled with that. But I guess it's that you come through that, you learn and as you grow older and surround yourself by the people in your life that really, really matter, you, as you said, you learn to really appreciate what is your worth and looks is 
a very small part of that. It's what you can give and give back to those people and to, I guess, every everything else around you versus how big your boobs are or do you have hips or the perfect nose. I'd much rather have be myself and that will come through in the years to come than have to keep being a chameleon, keep changing and also live in denial. Like I'm very okay with being very goofy, slightly weird <laughs> cat owner and yeah, trying to trying to do my best. Like I'm so okay with that. And if you're not here for the ride, cool. That's cool. Doesn't hurt me. And I totally respect your decision because I'm probably quite annoying to a lot of people <laughs> and that is okay. But I sort of, I'm okay with that. And I think that's, that's it. And if you, you're always having to again, chase your tail, then what's the point? And I often think, okay, yes, I'm not in that position because I'm still, still trying to make it as a full-time professional athlete as such with proper income. Like, would I take that deal if it goes against my values and who I need and have to be? And I can't answer that. I hope not. And I really hope there's never a financial situation where I have to say yes. And there have been a few athletes in, even in like cycling and the, I guess sister sports you say that are being themselves and actually doing really well and I totally respect that and I want to be that athlete and I will do my best to be in that situation even if it means a bit more work um so yeah and I think again I'm not against if someone feels the need to pose in a certain way cool good for you and yeah you look great (laughs) that's okay but that won't be me and I'm I'm okay with that um but I guess from the I'm gonna go to the marketing side and leave us on a thing on a little study and I guess help I guess people if you want to join the debate and I guess your thoughts on it is there was a super drug study they did ask 2,000 people on does sex sell i.e what what adverts are you attracted to and what adverts would make you buy um and interestingly um when there was a an attractive advert I'll start with that one 47% people said they would buy and only 50 53% said no so again on the fence but interestingly of those 47 they said yes 57% of them were women which again you wouldn't necessarily sit by but maybe any one of the when it goes back to the same advert as such the same products being advertised and there was a sexualized ad and a modest ad only 40% of people said they prefer the um, sexual ad over the 60% ad of the modest ad so 6% of people said they would actually buy more likely to buy of the modest so again so that puts it it doesn't necessarily, yes, it does sell because there's still 40% of people saying they'll make that purchase and they're still buying. But for, I think for all of us and for big brands to consider there are other options and the instant short-term high sale, quick impact, is that the strategy you want to employ? I'm not here to tell you yes or no, but there are other options. And also when you look at the, I guess, the mass market of representation and who are customers, everyone is a potential customer so don't leave them out and I think that's something we should all all consider and I'll, um, that's my end to this <laughs> well that's a wrap episode two thank you so much for listening and thank you to all of you who have already reached out and given us your feedback we love hearing from you it's already helping us shape series two um, please continue to review us please subscribe and let us know what you think Uh, the more information we get from you, the better we can make the series. And obviously, the more you review us, the higher we go on the charts um, and the more people that will listen to us and hopefully get our message across. So thank you so much. And we will be back next week with episode three.